Friends, welcome to the Just Follow Jesus podcast, a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel here in beautiful Carlsbad, California. Whether you call our community home or have just stumbled upon this podcast or you call us home and family from afar, we are delighted to have you. My name is Joseph Carlson and I'll be your host. For the last seven years, I have served as a director of production and communication here and have just recently transitioned into a new role serving as the editor-in-chief of Nations Media, a longtime partner of the churches here. I am thrilled to be your host as we spend the next several months together reflecting and exploring the in-depth study of the Gospel of Mark with our new lead pastor, Ryan Pfeiffer, and the talented teaching team that we'll introduce you to as the season goes on. This podcast is for those of you who are hungry and curious. If a 35-minute sermon isn't enough for you, you're in luck. Each week, this series of conversations will explore three basic questions. The first, what do we sense or hear of God doing actively in our community? Two, are there themes, applications, or areas of exploration from our weekend sermon that need more development or unpacking? And three, each speaker spends hours studying and preparing for a sermon and ultimately there are things that don't make it into the sermon. What ended up on the cutting room floor that is still worth talking about? Let's create a space for our friends to wave their nerd flag high and to dive deeper into the complexity, the richness, and the beauty of scripture and discover together how that might challenge, grow, and inspire us to be transformed people transforming the world. All right, down to this week. For this first episode, we cover an intro into Mark as well as sermons number one and two. And that's not typical. Normally, each weekly episode is recorded on Monday following the weekend sermon and is released by Wednesday or Thursday. Our teacher and conversation partner this week is Ryan Pfeiffer, our new lead pastor. Now, he's been a part of our teaching team for close to 15 years before coming on staff. But over the last several years, he has served on staff, first as our next-gen pastor, then as associate pastor, and now as lead pastor. Prior to that, he served for 20 years on staff locally with InterVarsity, ministering to college students. Here's his basics. He is a little bit of a science nerd. He graduated with a degree in biology. He then spent 20 years on staff in San Diego with InterVarsity. He was the director of all of San Diego University for 10 years, overseeing 12 campuses, 30 staff, I'm sure loads of volunteers. He's been an itinerant speaker for InterVarsity nationally. He has served on their national evangelism team and national Latino fellowship leadership team. He is the co-author of the book Longing for Revival. If you've ever spent much time with him, he's got a deep passion for seeing renewal and revival in the church. He's recently completed, along with Stacy, his wife, a three-year Transforming Center course in spiritual formation with the incredible and wise Ruth Haley Barton. He's also been married to Stacy Pfeiffer, who is an incredible person. They together have raised three incredible kids. There's Diego, there's Ramon, and there is Celia. They are a beautiful family, and I encourage you to get to know them if you can 
In today's episode, we dive into why Ryan chose the Gospel of Mark for his first sermon series, whether or not it is foolish to spend so much time on one book in our soundbite goldfish attention span culture, as well as just taking a deeper, slower walk around portions of chapter one that didn't quite make it into the sermon, but are no less important, insightful, and encouraging. So, my friends, without further ado, thank you for joining us for episode one of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. Ryan Pfeiffer. Yo, yo. Welcome to the Just Follow Jesus podcast. This is episode number one. Yes, exciting. Uh, new things are exciting. Dreams coming to reality. Dreams do come to reality. You know, this is probably the most important question I'm going to ask you the entire season. What is your middle name? <laughs> David. Ryan David Pfeiffer. Yeah. It's, it's a strong name. That's right. My uh, dad's from my dad. Uh, my dad's name is David. My middle name is not. However, it's Michael. Um, thanks for asking. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into uh, episode one here where we're going to be covering uh, all of Mark chapter one, which right. you preached on for the first two weeks of this new series. But before we jump into some of the specifics about the actual text and some of the things that you're passionate about and that you want to unpack a little bit more with regard to Mark chapter one and, and kind of the book of Mark in general, I kind of would love to hear you reflect on this question. You know, this is, you just became the lead pastor of North Coast Calvary Chapel and your first kind of major decision as lead pastor is that we are going to slow things down and we're going to take this long stroll through the gospel of Mark. That's going to take us from, you know, the, the fall all the way up to culminating in Easter. And so I'm kind of curious if you could unpack for us, like why, why the gospel of Mark? Why take that approach right now? Why is that the first kind of decision that you make as, as lead pastor? I think the imagery of a stroll, a long stroll is a very apt one because it's titled Just Follow Jesus. And what's fascinating about Mark is the pictorial imagery based nature of the gospel with less of his teaching and more of just showing us what Jesus is doing. And what are they doing with Jesus? To follow Jesus was to literally walk with him. Mm all over the place. And you just see the disciples walking here, walking there. Um, but it really does communicate something about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means to walk with him and to go with him into his world and into his heart and into his passion. There's a couple of things that really inspired me to pick Mark. One is personal. And the second is what I felt would be a blessing to our church. So these two things intersect. The first, my passion about it comes from the fact that I've been studying this scripture for 20 years. If you had to ask me, what's your number one core book of the Bible? I would say it is the gospel of Mark. And when I was a, a young minister cutting my teeth on teaching college students, you know, the gospels and preaching Jesus, we would take spring break every year with college students and take them to Catalina for a, a, a Bible intensive. And it was always the gospel of Mark. And it still is. And we would spend five days eight hours a day taking students during spring break into the gospel of Mark. And it was, <laughs> there's two things statistically when we interview students for the last 20 years, when any of our students, in fact, this is even recent data from a recent survey. The two most impactful things that have affected students in their their discipleship with Jesus has been going on short-term mission projects overseas 
Number two is the studying the gospel of Mark mm. over Catalina or wherever, wherever in the country they study the gospel of Mark. So studying the gospel of Mark is a thing that's done. It all wasn't just unique to San Diego. Yeah. It's done all over the country. People on the East coast to the West coast. It's a thing for oh. varsity. And, um, so back to my own passion, I love it. I studied it as a student. It changed my life. I mean, it taught me how to say scripture, um, how to study scripture and draw um, ideas about what the intent of the scripture was from the scripture itself versus just my own opinion of what other people told me. I met my wife during, cause she was in Come my on. group at Catalina <laughs> when I, as a student went through the gospel of Mark. So again, there's some personal reasons wow. for this. <laughs> Uh, but what it taught me was how to study scripture. And I'd always studied it, just whatever stood out to me, whatever grabbed my attention. But what they taught us through university was observation, interpretation, application, the basic hermeneutics, how to read a passage, how to interpret it based on um, the author's intent and to apply that intent to our lives, not mm-hmm. just what we feel comfortable with or what we're drawn to only. Mm-hmm. So there was personal reasons for it. I studied it for 20 years. And I told myself when I was a young minister that if I ever led a church, and at that point, I wasn't sure I ever would. But if I ever did, the first thing that I would do would be to lead Mm. that church through the gospel of Mark. That was approximately 20 years ago. Dude, that's so cool. And I've held on to that. And when I got here, I just felt God bring that memory back to mind. And I felt as passionate about that idea as I did then. Secondly, uh, the Gospel of Mark is, by almost all academic accounts, recognized as the first of the four Gospels mm-hmm. to be written. It is the, uh, the first draft of the Gospels, if you will, that all the other Gospel writers base their narratives off of. Um, and so I just felt like, how exciting to go through the OG, where it all <laughs> began. Like, this is the one that started the whole genre. And was instrumental to firing up and galvanizing the Jesus movement, Mm. probably as Peter was approaching the end of his life, written probably from Rome, and was wanting to leave, was wanting to leave a lasting testimony of his own experience, firsthand experience with Jesus himself. Mm. So for our church, I think for our church, I just felt inspired to do a series where we don't just talk about what the scripture means or what it, how it applies to our life, but we use a a series that teaches our church how to study scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is not just the the basics of hermeneutics, how to do good observation work, how to draw our interpretive um, insights from observation and to then apply that interpretation to our life, but also the value of reading scripture in community. And Mm. one thing that was one of the reasons why we made the book. So the book is designed so that people can underline and highlight and interact with the text, which is an important part of doing observation work, mm-hmm. um, making connections, seeing the repeated words, drawing the connections of different themes that show up on the page. Um, secondly, I think the book has, my hope was that the book would facilitate more group interaction, more community learning around the passage of scriptures. And I've been pleasantly surprised by how much people have taken a hold of that. And more than any other series I've ever seen us do, I've been seeing people jumping, doing these things in groups with other people. Mm. 
like inviting neighbors, friends, either kids, their small groups, going through it together. So we're learning it at church in this large community event experience, but then people are also doing it in these smaller community contexts, Mm -hmm. learning together about God's word in the company of fellow believers and even non-believers. Well, I love the, uh, thanks for sharing the personal side as well. That's really fun to know just how long the gospel of Mark has been like marinating in you and shaping you. And also fun to know that, you know, maybe to some degree, the gospel of Mark played a role in kindling the future yeah, romance. Right. Of and Ryan it came and for you st- too. Not that you need it, but you know, other people may yeah. be looking for that. Hear that folks, if you're single out there and you want to meet that, you know, special person, just study the gospel of Mark. It's a Ryan Pfeiffer guarantee. Um, well, so, so I appreciate hearing that, that perspective. And I, I love the intentionality behind it. Are you worried at all? I mean, it's a long time to, you know, like yeah. I said, take a, a long, slow stroll through Mark. We live in, I mean, U.S. culture is fast paced and is busy. Southern California in particular, perhaps, is just really chock full. And, you know, while North County likes to have this, hey, you know, like we're kind of chill, laid back surfer vibe, you know, um, informal sort of culture. We all know if you spend any time living here, you know that, man, people are hustling just as hard here, if not harder than anywhere else. We might just try and look like we're not. Um, so I, I say that because are you worried at all that, um, that people are going to like be bored by taking so long to go through one, one text? Is there mm. value in reading stuff slowly? Are you concerned that, you know, this is going to limit your ability to speak to topics of the day? That's a great question. I mean, also social media, right? Social media is constantly mm-hmm. giving us quick, fast bites of information. And, you know, it was really a consideration. It was. It was something that I considered deeply, and I talked to a handful of people about it, weighing the pros and the cons. Man, but what I saw, first of all, with students was we would spend that first year, that first, so year one for five weeks at spring break was through the first half of the Gospel of Mark. Mm. And then they would have to come back and do Mark two, and that's essentially what we're doing. We're doing it in a very similar way. It, and I saw that spending a week on that amount of scripture, just spending a whole week all day on it. It was, it was immersive and mm-hmm. it had an impact on people in a way that was different than jumping around for, to, from scripture to scripture. Mm-hmm. It allowed it to sink in. You know, you look at the grand King and, and you realize that that water carved that majestical, incredible landscape over a little bit over time. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the sense that that would happen for us as a community, mm. even though it's not in a week, um, it was staying in this gospel that would allow us to be shaped by it. Um, I, I also felt that the pace of Mark would compensate. Mm. Uh, there's a pace and energy to it that keeps you on your toes. It's exciting. I, I think people feel that as we go through it. It's like, it's so action packed. It's uh, it's engaging and and I I really hoped that spending the time in it for that amount of time that it would give people a fresh new appreciation for how much is in the scripture mm-hmm. and we could sit on one passage for five six weeks we could take chapter one of Mark and I actually almost did a whole series six to eight week series on just chapter one. Hmm. I, I, I think we don't realize how deep the scriptures go. 
And then we think we need to go fast through it because, hey, in 30 minutes, I've gotten all there is to say about that. And that's so not true. Mm. I think we all know that, but I don't know if we really have experienced that. Mm-hmm. That by sitting in it, we allow it, the, the secrets that are maybe hidden to us because we move so fast to kind of rise to the surface to us. But secondly, it allows us little by little, like allow the content to impact our life. Hmm. I think that the way we structured it too, was to give it a, a feeling of being two different series, even though it's all the same gospel of Mark, the first eight chapters have a, have a particular mood and theme and even geography to the path, to the text. Mm-hmm. When we get to January to Easter, it's going to feel like a different series, even though it's all the gospel of Mark, people are going to notice the tone the landscape of the story itself and the content is going to feel very different. Mm. And so we're going to have two books, right? It's a volume one and a volume two. So even though it's all gospel of Mark, we organize it and structure it in a way that I think is going to feel more like two different series mm-hmm. around the same person. I guess punctuating it with a uh, Christmas series will also probably help. Yeah. So yeah, palate cleanser. Right. That's right. We're going to be have Christmas to give us a little breather. Yeah, dude. I love that. I'm also excited that, hey, one thing I hear you saying is that this is your bread and butter. This is your sweet spot. So this is going to be the best that we ever get. And it's just all going to be downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe, maybe Uh, so. (laughs) Only time will tell. I'm kidding. I have deep faith in, I know what a nerd you are and uh, what an insatiable learner you are and your passion for scripture. So I just kid. I have full faith that you've got some good stuff in you uh, yeah, for other you. parts of, of scripture. Well, hey, uh, thanks for giving us like the larger, the larger vision about the why behind this series and your kind of passion for Mark. So without further ado, let's dive into chapter one. You took two weeks to uh, walk us through this. And there's a lot of great stuff. I listened back through those sermons again today, and there's a lot that we could pick apart, but I, I kind of wanted to offer you the floor first and to say, hey, uh, you know, the par- part of this podcast is the vision of it is for you to have that space to dive a bit deeper. Like you said, the depth of scripture is something that as we slow down and we engage with it, it's pretty profound. A, a new layer just keeps unfolding itself. So um, this is and also, you know, a weekend service is a particular sort of space. And so you're trying to package and to communicate in a, in a particular way that you're not as constrained here. So we can talk about nerdy themes, things like um, themes that you see that are going on, the significance of particular um, names or phrases or places and, and maybe historical some, background, exactly historical background, some of the technical or, literary stru- structural elements. Yeah. 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 So chapter one, let's, let's talk about chapter one. Yeah. Chapter one begins with thesis. The very first line of the gospel of Mark is very, I mean, the gospel of Mark is very intentionally structured. And for many years, it was viewed as an overly simplistic book. And it wasn't regarded very highly until the 20th century, where people started to realize actually there's something really profound about its apparent simplicity. Mm. And the more people study the Greek, even in the gospel of Mark, people are realizing this is a literary masterpiece. Yes, written by a human being, John Mark, but also we, as we believers hold in faith, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Chapter one serves as the introduction to the whole book. It's the opening scene laying out what we can expect to find in the rest of the book. 
The first line is the thesis, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Now just pause there. No other gospel opens up with that kind of direct statement about the intent of the book. Mm-hmm. Go look at them all. They all have their different approaches. The closest next one is probably, um, it's probably uh, John, right? The word, you know, opens up with the word, but even there it's more the cosmic mm-hmm. pre-incarnate Jesus here. He's just telling us this is who Jesus is. And the rest of the gospel of Mark is going to unfold the, the truth, the reality of this identity of Jesus. Hmm. So we're told who Jesus is, but then the rest of the gospel of Mark, we get to see this identity revealed through what he did and what he said and mm. through the reactions that people had. And the rest of the chapter one is organized like a table of contents. It, it has literally 13 parochopies, 13 little sections, like a pearl necklace strung together. And their parochopies are the little elements, these little, these little encapsulated story elements that are placed together that could have been rearranged, but... Mm-hmm by the author's intent and inspired by the spirit that are organized in a way that are organized differently in other gospels. Each Mm -hmm. gospel might put a story next to a different story. And um, so we see 13 parochopies, these these pearls of memory of Jesus's life, Mm. presumably from Peter, organized in a way to lay out the major themes that we're going to see in the rest of the gospel. So for example, we're going to see, we see in here uh, the Jesus's identity in the first line. We're going to see Jesus's identity constantly unpacked mm-hmm. throughout the gospel of Mark um, by people asking, who is this? And demons declaring who they think he is and who he, we're going to see that constantly unfold. And then we see the theme of the kingdom of God on this opening page. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean? What does it look like? What is what is the good news that this kingdom has come, right? Mm-hmm. So Mark's going to show us, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you were a part of this and this and this? And he's going to show us all these extraordinary moments that describe to us the kingdom of God. Um, we're going to see other themes like the, the, the cosmic spiritual conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So right away on this chapter, in the opening section, we see Jesus's confrontation with Satan. And Satan is going to continue to come back again and again and again. We don't really know who Satan is or what he does or what he's really up to in this section, but we're going to have that explained to us. And we're going to get to know the enemy um, little by little throughout the gospel of Mark. We're going to also learn more about what it means to fish for people. What is, what role do we have in this spiritual battle between God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan? Where do we fit in all this? And Many other things, the theme of faith, um, the theme of just following Jesus, which is next to Jesus's identity is probably one of the biggest ones. What does it mean to really follow him and be with him? And mm-hmm. so we're going to see all this spelled out in greater detail as we move through each chapter. Mark is a gospel. What is a gospel? I mean, you, you've talked about the importance of how we read scripture and, um, and some of how Mark is unique and you've already mentioned the fact that it's, it's action packed, it's fast paced, that it's also that it's, it's precise or it's direct um, in, in its style, which are important things to, you know, observations in the framework that you were yeah. talking about earlier. Um, but zoom out really quick. Like what is, what is the literary genre gospel? 
Is that does that matter? Is that unique? I mean, well, what's so exciting is that the Gospel of Mark probably represents a breakthrough in literature style, mm. and the Gospel is both the the literary genre, the type of narrative that it is, and that it's both a story. It's historical, but it has a proclamation purpose to it. It has a theological intent behind it. Mm-hmm. So it is relaying history, but that's actually not the primary goal of the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. It's not to lay out this precise, exact historical timeline. It's deeply rooted in history, which archaeological evidence today supports more and more every year that goes by. It's confirming mm-hmm. the historicity of these stories. But there's a theological intent. And so the organization, the chronology of these parochopies and how they're organized are meant to communicate theological Mm -hmm. significance. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yes, it's biographical, it's historical, Mm -hmm. but it's theological. That sort of the intersection of these three elements is what makes it so unique. And um, secondly, what's fascinating about the name of that genre is like a literary genre, but it's also the actual good news itself, right? Gospel is the word that we give to the good news of Jesus, the message, mm-hmm. the message that the kingdom of God is coming to the Jesus that was um, demonstrated and enacted through Jesus's life, death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. So gosh, there's so many layers to it. It's a, it's a literary genre. It's a message. Mm-hmm. It's good news that saves humanity. It's, it's rich. Yeah. One of my favorite <laughs> things, you know, in terms in the, in the nerdy realm, uh, gospel evangelion in the Greek is, I mean, we will see Jesus be utterly subversive. That's one. I I mean, you could probably put that as a theme of Mark's or of Jesus's life in general. He subverts uh, expectations about relationships and, and power and how it's used and what it looks like to engage with insiders and quote unquote outsiders. And, you know, us, we, load the term gospel positively, right? We can note it as this good news about the work that God's done, but even the use of the, at the outset there is uh, subverting what most people would have known gospel to be, right? And originally it was a, it was a military term. It was the term for when the empire had, had won a military victory, defeated its enemies and the herald comes back in and proclaims the good news of the, 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 emperor's victory. And so even the use of it here is already, you've, you mentioned one of the themes is, is, uh, Christ confronting the powers of darkness and, and beating them, right. thus liberating us. And I just love that. That's already, it's already packed into just the simple word gospel. Yeah. Just the idea that the word gospel itself. Yeah. That Greek word was a commandeering of, an already existing word mm-hmm. in the Roman empire. So yeah, they uh, co-opted the term and you repackaged it for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. Not us even maybe even being fully aware of that. So let's move into, uh, let's move a little bit deeper. You, you identified some of the themes and, and why is it that themes matter? Yeah. Well, the themes that are laid out in the gospel of Mark give us the roadmap to the rest of the gospel. So think of, Themes like uh, the major interstate highways in in California. If you want to get from here to LA without a highway and you're just traveling city streets, that's going to be a very confusing drive. You're going <laughs> to you're likely going to get lost. Imagine trying to get to LA from here without using a major highway. You'd probably get lost, even mm-hmm. with ways. You get <laughs> lost. 
so the themes allow us to map the author and the Holy Spirit's intent of mm. what they're trying to communicate to us. So for example, um, when we identify a theme or when we're reading it, when we identify the themes that are laid out and then we're reading a passage, we're, we're meant to ask, how do I see, what themes do I see here? And that starts to draw our attention to the intent of the passage so that we don't just read it for what's interesting to us, but we're going, what does the gospel of Mark want to really say to us? Even if it's not what I'm thinking, what does the gospel of Mark want me to think about? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, in chapter one, we've talked some about um, just kind of the, the context of Mark. We've talked some about its journey in terms of it being valued or esteemed or not within New Testament uh, study and exegesis. We've talked about just how chapter one in general is this string of pearls that begins to identify and highlight for us themes that we'll see in Jesus's life and crucial elements about his, his identity. One thing that we want this podcast to do is to provide space for you to share stuff that didn't make it into the sermon. Yeah. So when you're looking back at those first two sermons in Mark chapter one, is there anything that kind of stands out to you that you're like, you know, I, I love this part of chapter one, but I just did really didn't have time to, to hit on it in my, in my, you know, first two sermons. Well, I think the one thing that really grabbed me that I didn't get time to explain was in verse 10 in chapter one is just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Um, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. The tearing open of heaven is so Mark is being the shortest gospel. We can safely assume that the word choices are very intentional. Mm. That's true for all the gospels really, but the adjectives really just stand out in Mark. I feel differently than all the other gospels because of how lean his prose is. Mm. So heaven being torn, that Greek word, it's so aggressive, violent. It's like, wow, it's not, and heaven opened. It's being mm -hmm. torn open. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I just did a little research on that. And there's a lot of theological significance about that. Heaven being open. Wow. What did that even look like? I don't know what he saw there. What a, you know, that's a supernatural experience to be sure. But that Greek word doesn't show up again in Mark until the end when we talk about the temple being mm. torn at Jesus's crucifixion. It's the same Greek word. And so Mark does this. He uses these Greek words that are meant to be like links to other places to connect. Mm -hmm. So it's at the very beginning of the gospel and it's used at the very end of the gospel. And do we, and do I think it's safe to say that Mark wants us to draw a connection? Mm. Absolutely. So here that heavens open at his baptism where the father affirms his identity, affirms his love for him. And then we have Jesus at the very end of the gospel where everyone is just absolutely uh, casting doubt on his identity, speaking mm. the exact opposite over him. And when the, and in that moment where it looks like all is lost, the Jesus is crucified. His mission has failed. Uh, the curtain to the temple is torn. And it, it, historically in that moment, people would not have known how to make sense of that. Mm-hmm. It would have been baffling, confounding, terrifying. It would have been a portent, uh, like a sign of 
bad things. Yeah. And, but what did it represent? We know now looking back and I just imagine Chong and Mark and Peter looking back and go, Whoa, can you believe it? Wow. In that moment when Jesus was crucified, he was, and that curtain was torn. It represented the Holy of Holies, mm-hmm. right? The dwelling place of God. What is heaven? The dwelling place of God. And the barrier between us and God through Jesus's death and resurrection was removed. And yet it started right here at this very beginning when the father, when Jesus was chosen, chose to be baptized and identify with our sin, and the spirit rested on him. It's foreshadowed, mm. but it's not really fulfilled until we see Jesus crucified. Mm-hmm. And the heavens are now open. It's like a, there's this, Thin space between us and God mm-hmm. and his, his love, his kingdom. And the access to God's presence was opened in a radically new way. Mm. So that's one little thing that, yeah, I didn't get into, but I just love those little Greek yeah. nuances. That's a fun, dude, that's a fun little nugget. It's also, you just use the term there, foreshadowing. I mean, foreshadowing is a literary device that good writers in narrative use that, make it that we oftentimes don't only the astute reader will oftentimes, you know, on the, on the first reading catch some suspicion that there's something significant there. So I love that you slowed us down and, and pointed us towards that. And also spoiler alert, the the curtain gets ripped at the very end. One other thing, can I just throw in one other thing about this? There's a couple nuances is, the fact that um, the scene in gospel chapter one moves from the wilderness, which would be the desert mm-hmm, for them mm-hmm. um, into towards the sea. So get this, they're in the desert. Mm-hmm. Then the scene moves geographically to the river. And then if we're visualizing it, we end at the sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. Now this is really interesting. If you want to see something amazing, go to Ezekiel. What is it? Ezekiel. I can't remember off the top of my head now. It's Ezekiel 40 something where we see Ezekiel gets his vision of the river. And do you remember where that is? Oh, man. Uh, we're, fa- we're both failing our uh, Bible sword do- drills right now. Okay. So in Ezekiel, we'll find it. Um, there's the vision of the river. There's the vision of the, uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, but there's also the vision of the river that culminates and cascades into this, into the sea. And... When that happens, you really see this all being laid out. Do you, do, you find, do you find it? Yeah, Ezekiel 47. Okay, Ezekiel 47. If you go look at that, it's, it begins in Ezekiel with the river flowing from the throne, and then it flows out into the sea. And as the river progresses, it gets deeper, and more and more life is growing around the shores of the river, culminating in this vast explosion of life around the lake or mm-hmm. that it pours into mm-hmm. pours into a lake and there's like fruit trees and it's this beautiful picture of life. And it's meant to represent the outpouring of the spirit. Now, what I love about this is that all through the old Testament the wilderness is a sign of being exiled from God's presence and goodness mm-hmm. and water. always represents the spirit. The imagery in Ezekiel is foreshadowing this moment right here. And this scene Mm -hmm. intentionally grabs a hold of that imagery as Jesus shows up in the river from the wilderness, the place of dryness and exile. And then he goes into the river and the spirit comes on him and the holy, you know, and the heavens are open. We see the life of God being poured out. And then what happens? Jesus starts proclaiming 
the river starts getting deeper and the implications of that good news, that healing, that mm-hmm. kingdom start to expand. And he calls his disciples to follow him. And then get this, the whole thing culminates. The entire first eight chapters centers Jesus' activity all around the lake. Mm. Just like we see in Ezekiel, all this life, what not trees, not fruit trees and animals flourishing around the lake, but healing, mm-hmm. deliverance, teaching, freedom. It's the first Dude, eight chapters put <laughs> into fulfillment, Ezekiel 42. It's, it's awesome. And so it just shows you even the landscape, the way that Mark describes the landscape mm-hmm. is intentional to communicate that what Ezekiel saw is being fulfilled. The spirit has come. The kingdom of God has broken in mm-hmm. and the life of God is now filling the earth in a new way. Man, that's, I genuinely, I've never, never heard the connection to Ezekiel 47 there. And that's absolutely beautiful. It also immediately, uh, you know, brings to mind Mark's writing to while he's in Rome in, in theory, when he's writing this, um, he's writing, you know, to the church who's experiencing persecution His he's also writing, he's writing to Jews, uh, you know, right. Hebrew background and that movement from desert, desert to uh river immediately conjures up the Exodus journey as well. Yes. You know? Another it, layer. It's yeah, like, right? and that's probably even the more significant one. Uh-huh. Because that's more memorable in their mind. Sure. But at the same time, I mean, uh, pr- the prophets and the prophet Ezekiel is, you know, I mean, he's one of the, the primary um, prophets. And so that's just, it's just beautiful to see the, the different depths there. And a yeah. fulfillment that uh-huh. it's like, you just keep going, dude. It's go read Ezekiel 42. Look at the Exodus story. It's like, wow, yeah. here we are. Yeah. So then lastly, the entire first eight chapters are all around the Sea of Galilee. I mean, right here in the very beginning, it says that he went to the sea and called the disciples to follow him. All of chapter eight, chapters one through eight are around the sea. But watch when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and, and Jesus for the first time predicts his suffering and death. Mm-hmm. From that moment on, the scenery will move away from the sea, which mm-hmm. right, represents life and mm-hmm. breakthrough and, the, and all this healing mm-hmm. and starts to move towards the cross. And the cost mm-hmm. to God for that healing and breakthrough to happen. And so from chapter, the midpoint of chapter eight to 16, we are no longer by the Sea of Galilee. You won't even hear it mentioned. We are on the road to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And at least six, I think it's like, no, I can't, don't quote me, five times. From that moment on, chapter eight to 16, Jesus keeps talking over and over about his death. Mm. And the cross looms large and cast its shadow over just about every chapter all the way his death. Dude, I, sorry, even, even hearing you talk about that, um, and this image of, of Christ around the sea, his ministry being there and us seeing, yes, the flourishing of, um, of individuals and communities of healings of, uh, you know, this, the good news of God's pre- kingdom in breaking into reality in Hebrew. It, it also, dude, it also connects back to the Genesis story because in the Hebraic worldview, um, the sea is connected deeply with the powers of chaos. That's right. Right. And I mean, in the Hebrew word is yom, I believe if I remember correctly. But so even that Jesus's ministry um, with the, 
the sea being a kind of primordial image of chaos and the forces of evil that are opposed to the fl- f- structured flourishing of God's good creation um, is yet another layer that I'm sure probably would have been in, in the minds of his Jewish readers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause he's slowly on the edge on the, ultimately he will conquer, you know uh, I mean, if we fast forward to revelation, right. There's a, um, the enemy of God ultimately gets thrown into a lake, a, a yep. different lake, you know, um, go suffer your own consequences, <laughs> the life <laughs> of chaos that you've created. Um, but I just, um, yeah, even, sorry, you did, some of what you were sharing there just sparked that connection as well. And I'm got this big smile placed on my face because it's just so yeah, a good, so a good example of yeah. that, t- uh, that type of like imagery is like in the story of Jonah. Yeah. They're on the sea and it's a raging storm and it's full of spiritual significance. They throw Jonah over and he's swallowed up and mm-hmm. taken to the bottom, you know, to the depths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a place of transformation for Jonah. Yeah. And a place of returning to his mission. Mm-hmm. And there's that, there's that significance too. Mm-hmm. But the, lo- the geography, the location of Mark's gospel, even that has significance. Uh, it's, we could go on and on, but it's yeah. just like, there's so many layers that I'm not even touching on that are just like, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> you know, it's layer upon layer of significance. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Ryan, is that in chapter one, we see a ton of spiritual activity and we're coming from, you know, the, the modern world from the enlightenment onward was very, I mean, very much marked by rationalism, you know, um, by a mechanistic understanding of the universe where cultures and societies are shaped by, you know, the productivity and efficiency of the industrial revolution. And then we hit post-modernity, which, you know, <laughs> we start talking about a lot more in the nineties and has then, and, and we live now in a very post-Christian landscape, but also in a very post-modern one where uh, some of the, you know, a lot of people are still pretty wedded to a rationalist materialist worldview. Um, and right out the gate, Mark challenges that because, I mean, we've got all sorts of things. Um, Jesus, uh, faith healings, that's a controversial topic. You can go watch, you know, uh, documentaries on Netflix about that. Um, but then there are also encounters with the supernatural. So like, talk, talk to me about that. How is, is that something that we, you know, need to take seriously in our world today? Uh, I know certain people will be sitting here listening to, uh, to the series and going like, well, I mean, you don't really believe in that sort of mumbo jumbo, right? Like, <laughs> so what do you, what do you think? Yeah. It's fascinating how Mark just hits us with it right away in the very beginning. And, um, we get Satan. Yeah. Like you said, we got the demons and we're, it's like, it keeps coming up in every, almost every chapter. We're seeing spiritual forces of evil. We're seeing Jesus do supernatural things. And uh, yeah, the predominant, I think, mindset and philosophical view of the world is a scientific materialism. And I don't think that needs to make us uh, antagonistic or hostile towards science. I was a science major in college and I love science. To me, science is the front row of the beauty and the glory of God in creation. Mm. It's amazing. And I'll be studying you know, structural biochemistry, looking at the, the shape of molecules and how the shape of these protein molecules enable them to fit together for the basic functioning of the human body and how intimately at the finest details, it 
biology is like a bunch of little puzzle pieces perfectly designed to fit together. Mm. It's mind blowing. So science should cause us to be in awe and wonder of God. Just because we can explain it, it shouldn't discount the spiritual reality behind it. Mm. And that's what Mark's giving us. It's opening up to us a fresh invitation to see the world with renewed wonder through that the world is a spirit rich. The universe is a spirit rich environment. Mm. And the way that Mark organizes it is he lays out this sort of spiritual, this really intense spiritual moment. If you look at it, it's very densely packed. Jesus is baptized. There's the voice of God. There's the spirit of God. Heaven's being torn open. So think about all that right there. There's the Trinity, the spirit, the son Mm. and the father, the voice of the father right there. I I didn't even mention that earlier, but intense spiritual reality, the Mm. Trinity, heaven being torn open. And then in the next scene, you got, um, you got Satan and he's confronting evil forces. And then we're going to see later in chapter one, demonic spirits. The reason why all that's really important is because what he's trying to show us is that all that we're going to see in the gospel of Mark, we should be seeing through that spiritual lens. Mm. And we should be seeing that there's a relationship between the material and the spiritual world. And, and yeah, I think, um, I think that can be, that's, that's a, I think that's a good and important reminder for us. For those of us, on the one hand, who are tempted to want to leave out the spiritual reality of life and focus on our, you know, the bottom line of our, of our uh, checkbooks or we don't even use checkbooks today, but whatever, our balance sheets, you know, <laughs> our budgets. Sometimes just the material world just feels, so, it imposes itself with such force. It just feels like that is ultimate reality. Mm. And so we see the physical world imposing itself through storms, through sicknesses, through sicknesses that have haunted people for 12 years that despite all of their efforts and all their money have not been able to get free from, Mm. right? We'll get to that story. Even death itself, the ultimate imposition of physical reality, Mm. death. And yet we're going to see the, uh, we're going to be given a new way of understanding those physical realities through a spiritual perspective. And ultimately the governing lens of that spiritual perspective is the kingdom of God and what that means. And I think it just invites us into, it's kind of like we talked about when we were opening this series, when we were advertising this series, it's like we're walking into the wardrobe Mm -hmm. and Mark walks us right into the wardrobe right away and invites us to believe at the very outset that there's more to reality than what you can see with your eyes, Mm. which is why Jesus later will start to say, this is for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear mm-hmm. because what we see with our eyes, isn't the whole picture. And what we hear with our ears, isn't the whole truth. Mm. Can we perceive the reality of life that's behind the physical world? And Mark right away walks us through the wardrobe, inviting us into that world. It's a little bit like the Marvel universe, you know, it's this world <laughs> universe where people are doing the most insane things. They're powering up. They're going to distant galaxies. There's multiple universes, but we could go, Oh, this is just fantasy like that. Or we could read it the other way and go, no fantasy draws on reality Mm. because truth is stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly true in the gospels. And that what if all the fantasies and mythologies that people have created are actually ways of trying to make sense of 
what is really true. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just a fun way to to dive into the gospel of Mark and into our world, to start walking into our families, into our workplaces, and to look at it as a spiritually rich environment. Mm-hmm. And to say, God, open my eyes to the spiritual realities of my life. It brings a whole other level of purpose, I think, in gravitas and and joy to our everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the way you just reframed that, this invitation to wonder that science uh, and, and mythology, science fiction, fiction, right? These fantasy, uh, if you view that through the lens of, of wonder, of ultimately trying to connect with, make sense of, put language or words or images to the fact that their reality is much more rich and complex than, uh, than the scientific materialist viewpoint that is so easy for us to get stuck in sometimes, um, it would lead us to believe. And what I kind of hear is, um, you know, we've been talking about the importance of this series and, and wanting to learn how to read the Bible, you know, not just w- what does it say or how does that n- apply to us, but how do we actually read the Bible? Uh, there's a, what I hear you inviting us to in this series is to adopt a hermeneutic of wonder or a hermeneutic of curiosity rather than one of suspicion or cynicism. And I think that that's uh, without even really realizing, even us people of faith, because we live in a context, uh, a cultural context where the spiritual is far more, I mean, especially in the last 20 or 30 years, you know, you've seen a resurgence of people who are open and interested in spiritual conversation, spiritual realities, and particularly here in North County. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got amazing spiritual diversity here. And, you know, part of the, the enlightenment movement of the West, you know, was birthed here. We've got swamis, we got, you know, people who are walking around in all sorts of different, um, different spiritualities. And so, um, it's still easy though, for us, I think sometimes to walk into church and to kind of be riddled with, uh, a little bit of cynicism about just the power of who Jesus is about the reality that scripture is inviting us into. And so I appreciate the fact that you've used some of this language of curiosity and of wonder, which is really positive. It's open, it's seeking rather than kind of the, def- the defensive posture that I see so often in, in culture around us. Uh, it, it does lead me to kind of a, I think a final question for this conversation, our first one of the series, which is, you know, we talked about why Mark, we talked about why now, but you titled the series, uh, just follow Jesus. And why, why go with that? It's not, you know, and some might say it's not a terribly creative title. <laughs> was was there intentionality in that? It's a little Nike esque. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a little direct and uh, <laughs> charging. Um, well, yeah, and I think that it reflects one something about our church that I think is true. That um, we are about Jesus and the cross of Jesus and following Him. And it, I think, in a day and age where things get overly, we get distracted and everybody wants to over, I think overcomplicate things in some ways. Mm. Uh, It's bringing it back to ground zero, back back to the fundamentals Mm -hmm. because we get out into the world with all the options that we have. I mean, just look at the menus that we order from. I mean, all the, (laughs) go on social media, go on your phone. You have so many options on how to spend your time, what to watch, what to eat, what to wear. This just brings us back to 
to, you know, to ground zero, what, where it all begins and it's home base. Mm-hmm. We follow Jesus and it is the irreducible um, point of being a Christian. Mm. It's always fundamentally about following him. And I think it contains two key elements in the gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is first and foremost, who is Jesus? And I think I'm, I'm convinced that more than any other gospel, the gospel of Mark is the best on-ramp for a non-believer to look at Jesus. Mm. Most of the time we'll go to John, but Mark is so direct and simple. It doesn't get you into all the, the, the abstract teachings of Jesus. They're, and the teachings he does give, they're, they're parables. So they're stories, they're image rich, mm-hmm. they're great for kids. And so the gospel of Mark gives us a really powerful picture of Jesus. And I think that's a great place to invite our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. Mm. Come and look at who he is and what he did. And then secondly, the theme of following him. It's all through the gospel of Mark. We are constantly being pressed with examples of what it looks to have faith in him and what it looks like to not have faith and to have a hardened heart towards him. It comes up again and again. And so every chapter can almost be reduced to these two key themes. Who is Jesus and what is our response? Are we going to trust and follow him or are we going to harden our hearts? Mm. So it's, it's, it's organic to the gospel of Mark. It reflects, our, I think, our core culture ethos as a church. And, um, and lastly, I think it captures our mission to invite people our life, our prayers, our words, um, and our actions, people around us mm-hmm. to, to follow him. Yeah, it captures our, our calling as mothers, as fathers, as, as you know, high school students on our teams, in our classrooms, with our friendship groups. This is what we're here to do. We're here to reveal Jesus to people and to give opportunity for others to follow him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And the just part reflects some of the simplicity or the purity of, of Jesus and of the gospel. It has profound and far ranging implications. Uh, The obedient response to the, the, to following the call of Christ will create complex situations, but the person of Jesus um, and his message and invitation to you and to me is, and remains at all times, a pretty simple one of, you know, come spend time with me, come know who I am, know, know my father, uh, you know, do as I do. And let's uh, partner together to, to be the people of God, bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Amen. Well said, my friend. Ryan, thanks for sitting down and taking some time to have this conversation with us. Looking forward to the rest of the season as we get to take this slow stroll through the gospel of Mark. So we are, we'll be excited to see you wave your nerd flag um, high in the coming episodes. Uh, But many thanks, Ryan David Pfeiffer, for this first episode of Just Follow Jesus. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information, about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany 
this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm